Don't answer 104. What does God require in the fifth commandment? Answer that I show all honor, love, and fidelity to my father and mother and all in authority over me and submit myself to their good instruction and correction with due obedience and also patiently bear with their weaknesses and infirmities since it pleased God to govern us by their hand. So far, honoring authority is the theme for tonight. We need authority, right? And we need to honor authority that's included in this commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. So honoring authority, forethought. In the first place, in general, is it something to be said about authority and obedience and respect in general? Secondly, at home, we think of parents and children, but also of husband and wife. In the third place, we think of church, in church. Church authority, really? What does that mean? Do we have to obey in church? And in the fourth place, in society, think of the government. Think of the difficult times we had in the past that we disagreed here and there about how far do you go in obeying the government in society and respecting authority. That's quite an item. Honoring authority in general, at home, in church, in society. So we need to talk about the fifth commandment. Before I do that, let me try to remind you why. Why we are going over all those ten commandments. What's the sense of doing that? Some people like it. Some people say, I love the Heidelberg Catechism, especially when we talk about the commandments. It's so concrete. I can relate to that. It's so practical. I can do something with it at home. I can see the point. But what is the reason why we do that? Well, someone says, we need to know how to live as Christians, right? And as people, we need to know how to live. So society is, is, is kind of smooth. It's smooth society. So we have no anarchy. So we have civility and we can get along well. So we need to know what we are supposed to do and not to do. So interesting what our life should look like. Okay, that's correct. That is an important piece of why we preach the Word of God and preach the Ten Commandments. We need to know what's right and what's wrong in our society and life. But secondly, it's also to convict people, to prick people people in their heart, right? And we hope that happens tonight with some young people or older, older ones. They feel kind of, oh, I am not so perfect here at all. I have sinned against that fifth commandment somehow. I, I need forgiveness. And I hope you feel the, the seriousness of sinning against the commandments, also sinning against this commandment in your heart. And that might be a cry born tonight. Oh, God, I'm not perfect at all in that regard. Forgive me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And in the third place, it's also important for God's people to know. For God's people to know the Ten Commandments and to go over that again for them. Why? They know the Ten Commandments. They try to obey them. Yes, but they always need to be reminded of it on how to express gratitude. Let me give you an example. I'm a little bit ahead of myself. This is a piece that also could fit in the thought at home. But let me just give you an idea. 
I think of a young woman, young girl, and the Lord is working in her heart. Could be a young man too, of course. And that means that he or she begins to read the Bible intensely, want to know what the Bible says, want to know if there is hope for her. And she, she's really, really with a deep interest and a hunger for the living God. And she realizes something of my heart, my soul, first for God, but the living God. I can't live without him. And that comes out in her whole lifestyle or his lifestyle, in coming to church and reading the Bible and you name it. But she has, he has, a kind of a difficult mother. Kind of a woman not so easy to get along with. Bossing her around. And time and again she feels so angry with mom. So angry. And she knows it. She was right. She was wrong. And I'm right. But you know, sometimes she says things that she shouldn't have said to their mother, mom. And she has, in a way, no respect for the way she's dealing with her. So there is some friction there. So she is a young lady, a young person with some sensitivity and a soft heart and maybe a changed heart, really struggling with authority. And I can imagine that someday she will say something nasty to her mouth. This slips her mouth. She shouldn't have said that. Right way she feels. You are wrong. Your mom might be wrong, but you're wrong. You may, not, you may not say that to your mother. And she goes to her room and she bows her knees. She says, Lord, please forgive me. My mom was wrong. But that's her business. I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. I should have had patience with the infirmities and weaknesses of them in authority over me. And she confesses that sin before the Lord. And she goes downstairs. And she goes to mom and says, Mom, I apologize. I apologize. She doesn't say, you have to apologize. Although her mom may have been the instigator of it, but she says herself, I apologize. See, that is a fruit that can be a fruit of God's mercy, of grace. So we preach on this commandment and on the other commandments in the hope that God's children are encouraged to show gratitude to God in their life. And that they receive more insight to sin, but also that they are more of an example to others. Because the brothers and the sisters see that, right? They see that the sister, the brother, is apologizing. They say, kind of, whatever. But it's, it's, it's an example of how the Lord wants us to live. So we had three points why we are talking about the Ten Commandments. The first one was to just know what's right and wrong, and the second was to um, convict people of sin, and the third one was to ex- uh, on explain how to express gratitude. There might be also a fourth one, um, and I think of the hypercatechism on page 81. Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached since no man in his life can keep them? We're not there yet. It is a few Sundays away. But let me already already answer. First, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature. And thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ Jesus. Likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in the life to come. So the fourth reason why we also preach the fifth commandment again is to put pressure on God's people. 
to let them know you are not perfect at all. You should know more and more of your sinful nature. You need to have a, a deeper insight into who you are. Because there is still pride and self-righteousness. You need to be emptied more. So they do not only need that the law to initially break people in the heart, to convict them of their sins, also later on, the rest of your life, the rest of your life, you need to be reminded of all Ten Commandments, time and again, to have a deeper understanding of sin and a deeper understanding of God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. To have more of Jesus in our hearts. To love him more. To adore him more. To cleave unto him more. See? So that is the preface, as introduction, why we are talking about the Ten Commandments. Now the Fifth Commandment is, Honor thy father and thy mother, that the days may be long upon the land, which is the Lord thy God, give her thee. And let me also give a context for that. We live in a special time, the time between Pentecost and the second coming of Christ. Or you can say the time from Ascension Day to the second coming of Christ. Or you can say the time that the Lord Jesus is the resurrected Savior at the right hand of the Father and reigns like that until he has all enemies at his footstool and then the end will be. Right? That's the time we live in. Lord Jesus, the resurrected Lord Jesus, is right now at the right hand of the Father, governing, and it's the power, and he has a special way of providence and of drawing people in and protecting his church and going after prodigal sons and daughters. And that time is also called the time of missions, right? That time is also called the time of the thousand-year reign. It's also the time of the Holy Ghost. And especially in the last part of that time, of the latter days, that's another example, another word, latter days, then things will turn worse. And Matthew speaks about earthquakes and wars and also mentions that, that but that's even not the end yet. But... For example, Timothy writes very extensively on how people feel and act in the latter days, uh, especially in the last time, the last years of the latter days. So let me read those uh, marks of those end times to you, and you feel out how that relates to the obedience. Is it getting harder to obey, knowing that those characteristics are getting worse. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. This know also in the last days, brilliant time shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. The first one. Lovers of their own self. We all, we all love ourselves. That's in our nature, and it's not per se wrong either. We must love our neighbor as ourselves. As ourselves. You don't hate yourself. You have a soul for eternity. But one of the marks of the end times is that people are lovers of their own selves in an extreme way really loving themselves. That, that's, a, that's a huge problem for authority. A huge problem for obe- obedience. If you love yourself so much, you say, not your business, I can take care of myself. And secondly, covetous. And boasters. That means arrogant. Proud, it means abusive. So in those latter days, 
people are lovers of themselves and there's arrogant, arrogant people. There's arrogancy, more and more arrogancy in our society. I know it way better than you do. You are in authority, but I know better. You're supposed to be an expert, but I don't care. And abusive. And blasphemers. And it says also then in 2 Timothy 3, disobedient to parents. So being disobedient to parents and authority is one of the marks of the end times. Of times getting out of hand and getting worse. So it does not look good for the future. It looks bad. In our society, people are disobedient and it is coming close to us. It's in the air. It's like a virus. It's affecting us too. It's affecting all of us. Do you think that we can escape the spirit of the times? We can. And it goes on with unthankful and unholy and without natural affection, heartless, and false accusers, meaning slanderous and gossipers, slandering authority, gossiping about authority, having no affection for them, incontinent, it says in our Bible, meaning no self-control and addictions, right? So that's the time we live in. So authority, exercise authority, and obedient, being obedient in such a time is hard. It says also fierce, meaning brutal, despised of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. We are heady. And high-minded. And then there's authority. There's a problem, right? Because you can't handle authority because you're so, so proud. The prouder you are, the harder authority is for you. Lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So we live in the time that this is very actual. And we need to repent for the reason. In order to respect the laws of the Lord, we do not only need to be civil and understanding things, we need a new heart. We need a new heart in order to be able and to be willing to obey the fifth commandment and to respect authority. So... Therefore, we need to understand our arrogancy our being, as being high-minded and, dis- and disobedient, and we need to be broken. We need to be broken down. That's the heart of the thing. You need to be broken. Because we are high-minded and heady and arrogant and disobedient, and we have always been like that as mankind. But it's getting worse, and it also comes our way. Grace makes sinners meek. Grace makes people humble. Grace makes people respectful. Grace makes people obedient. Remember the Beatitudes? That is exactly the same thing. That's also the opposite of disobedience. In the Beatitudes... He opened his mouth and said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. In order to obey the fifth commandment, you need to be poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. See that? All those words mentioned in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 fit with this. When the Lord gives a new heart, he makes you willing to obey and to respect and to understand that the Lord reigns. 
But does it say in the Heidelberg Catechism? Since it pleases God to govern us by the hand. It pleases God to govern us by the hand. So we need to understand that, that God has chosen so. Interesting is also the expression in the Lord <clears throat> in this regard. In the Lord, what do I mean? Well, I mean expressions like, like those. Ephesians 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord. What does that mean? And if Philippians 2, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness. And Ephesians 5, 8, for ye are sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. What does it mean to obey your parents, for example, in the Lord? In the Lord means, like, go back to that example of that young lady with that difficult mom. She obeyed her mom, not because her mom is worthy of it. She isn't. And who is? But she obeyed her mom because of the Lord. So she's obeying her mother in the Lord. Not for mom's sake, not for herself's sake, but for the Lord's sake. And that's important. It's important that you obey authorities, not because they are servants, and they are so precious, and they mean so well. No, they are crooked, maybe. But yet to obey them in the Lord. Who was really good at that? Do you know an example in the Bible? Of someone really good at obedience? Well, of course you do. The Lord Jesus himself, Right? Jesus himself, he went down with his father, stepfather, and mother to Nazareth. And he was subject unto them. Although they didn't understand him, as he said that he had to be in his father's business, but he obeyed him. And I read in John 5, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of my Father, which has sent me. So obeying the Father that sent him. Finally, in the first thought, two examples of obeying unworthy authorities. The Apostle Paul was interrogated by, I think it was Festus. And someone was standing next to him, close to him, and said, smite him in the face, hit him in his face. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou white dwarf, for sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? You can't say that. And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? He didn't know. He did not know it was the high priest. But he cursed the high priest. Then Paul said, I wish not, brothers, that he was the high priest. I didn't know that. For it's written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. So Paul apologized that he said something disrespectful to the high priest, although it was absolutely wrong what he said. It was the high priest, after all. The high priest, an ungodly high priest, and you should have respected him. See? So maybe you, you know authorities or police or your father or a teacher or you have no use for the person. But it's 
summon an authority over you in God's providence. And therefore, we cannot just say and do things to our liking. And another example is of Saul. We read it in 1 Samuel 24. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master. The Lord's anointed to set forth my hands against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David was chased and threatened by his father-in-law, Saul. And he got the opportunity to kill him. And his general and his people said, this is your chance. In God's providence, this is your chance. Just kill him. He is your enemy, right? He's after your life. So take your chance. And David said, no way. I can't do that. Saul... He's anointed by the Lord, right? So David said, I cannot do that. It's the anointed of the Lord. And that should be also important in our decisions, how to deal with authorities, because they may have been anointed and installed and received that place by the Lord. Closing the first thought. Authority is something we need to learn, we need grace for. Let's go to the second thought. At home, my son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. It is directed in the first place to young people, children. Children in church, teenagers. It's quite common that Parents and children are kind of at odds with each other. And that is tension in families. And that young men and young women and children have difficulties obeying. That's an old problem. But the blessing, if we have parents, let me say it first. Because the Lord wants to bless that. And I read also in an encouraging way in Exodus 20 and in Ephesus 6, Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long, that thy days may be long. So obedience is required from young people. They should obey their parents if they want to live long. Because the Lord rewards that, it kind of seems like. He rewards obedience. It's also a consequence of it. Example. Someone is biking to work. And this dad says, you wear a helmet. He says, no. I hate helmets. You wear a helmet, my son. You do so. He reluctantly does so. Reluctantly he puts that thing on his head and he's biking. Gets involved in an accident. His head is hit. The helmet is just as good as it can be. And not sparing that young man. He has no head injury or hardly any. Because that helmet had protected him. So he obeyed his father, who wanted him to live long. And he did. Now he still is alive. See that, young people? Your parents say, don't do that. Don't go there. Whatever it is, keep in mind that they love you and that they want you to live long and to protect you. And it's dumb. It's foolish to say, I know it myself, and to disobey them and to get in trouble yourself. Sometimes consequences very seriously. As I already mentioned, Christ is an example, right? An example of obedience. But 
let's also keep in mind that it's a joy for parents. It's a joy for parents if they have children that are obedient. And I suppose that when you think young people of later on when you're grown up and have children, you would love it if they would obey you and you would have that joy. I see it in the Bible quite often. Here it is. Proverbs 13. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father to the son in whom he delighteth. The father delights in that. He loves that. And it's remarkable in, in, in Proverbs so often the Lord is using the warning. Of course, fathers can also go too far. Buy the truth and sell it not, also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice. And he that begat a wise child, a wise child, shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad. And she that bear thee shall rejoice. In Proverbs 23, Verse 24, four times where joy and gladness is mentioned. Let me ask you a question. Is your dad happy with you? Is your mom rejoicing in you? Maybe you say, probably not. Think about that. That you can be a pain, that you can be grieving. It can cause so much sadness, so much concern, so much sleepless nights that you disobey them. Because they care. They love you. So it's not that they are against you. They don't want to make your life difficult. They mean the best. So they should have joy in that. And it is not a joy to parents. It is also not a joy to the Lord. Right? Seven times I read in Proverbs the example of chastising, of disciplining. I think that's an important thing today because, as I said, the spirit of the times is also affecting us. And it's happening more often than before that parents are afraid of their own children. And that they want to please him. You know, I was in a restaurant yesterday and I saw a young couple coming in and that one child, and the child was gone this the, 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 the child was getting everything he wanted. Just this table and that food and the, just the whole demeanor. And those, those parents were kind of Obedient. The parents are obedient. Okay, okay, okay. That is detrimental for young people. You ruin them for life. Children need a loving, firm hand. Not negotiating, a firm hand. So I will mention those seven texts. You would say, why seven texts? To just let you know that Solomon in Proverbs thought it was a very important subject. So he's repeating it and saying it again and again and again and again, seven times. So it finally will get in here. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. If you don't discipline, you hate that boy. 
No, 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 no. Yeah, you do. But he that loveth him, chasteneth him, betimes. If you love that boy, that girl, that toddler, if you love them, show them that you are the boss, that you are the bad, that you are the authority, and just let them feel it. They, they, they're challenging it, right? They're challenging you. That's fine. You just stop them in a calm, loving way. No, no, no. And you don't move. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. If you delight in a son, you stop him when it is needed. Chasten thy son while there is hope. And let not thy soul spare for his crying. He's crying. Making a big fuss. Crying. Hoping to impress you with the tears. So that you can say, so, so you feel kind of bad if you don't give it to him. You give him because... He, he, he starts crying otherwise. Let him cry. Don't change the mind. Proverbs 22. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. The Bible speaks about a rod. I don't think that it's a club. No. I don't think it is something to inflict Bruises and wounds and break your bones. No, no, no. I think it's a little twig. It's a little piece of wood. And, for example, just on your hand or on your back, it just inflicts, inflicts this very short period of time, intense pain, and after a minute it's gone. You don't see a stripe on the skin. You see nothing is blue, nothing is... It, it's not, not abusive. You may, you may not, not abuse children. But they may, they may feel it. Proverbs 23, Behold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, then you just hit him briefly with a twig or something, or a ruler or whatever it is, he shall not die. You know, you, you don't kill him with that. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. See that? It sounds to me like if you don't discipline the child properly, that you are guilty of him going to hell. Right. That's so dangerous not to discipline the child and just that the child does not get used to a firm hand. And later on, then he's getting grown up, and in society, it's the same person not used to authority. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Ye shall give the light to thy soul. Would you like to be happy with your child? Then discipline him. Then discipline her. Of course, there are also other means to use, not only inflicting a little pain, also this separating him or just taking privileges away or sitting, sitting on the chair for half an hour or ten minutes. You know, those, those little things can also do wonders. At home. At home also means Obeying your husband. That's what the Bible talks about, obeying the husband. I remember studying that piece in the Bible. I thought there's probably a different original word in Greek. I can't believe the same word is used for children, disciplined children, that they must obey their fathers and mothers is used for Women obeying their husbands. 
I thought, it can be the same thing. So I studied that. And it's the same word. Same word. Didn't expect that. So it's at least some similarity. I said at least some similarity between obeying your parents and obeying your husband. It's different. You are in, our wives are adults, have responsibility. But yet there is something, something of it. But let me put it in context. Ephesians 5. For the husband is what? The boss? The master? Authority? What? For the husband is the head of the wife. I like the word head. It's not, it's not the boss, but head. Even as Christ is the head of the church. That's positive, isn't it? Christ, the head of the church, means he cares for the church. And he is the savior of the body. The head is the savior of the body. And so in the marriage, he is the head. And in his headship, he is the savior of his wife. Ephesians 5, I think there's still another word as well. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Gave himself for it. In what way did Christ give himself? He gave himself on the cross. He died. He died for the church. So in Ephesians 5, it's true, obedience, respect of women to their husband is required. Right. But he, she needs to respect him, and he needs to die for her. So it is obedience, but in a very special context. Again, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that hateth, sorry, he that loveth his wife, loveth himself. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Nevertheless, let Every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So the emphasis on men really loving, loving, sacrificing, sacrificing for their wives, and the wives revealing their husbands. Brings you the third thought. The congregation in the Bible, authority, exercising authority is always loving, always caring authority. Never authoritative, always kind. The real authority is caring, loving, providing authority. And that's true for all authority, but especially in the church. Listen to this. 1 Peter 5, feed, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. So feed them, taking oversight. It's taking oversight in a positive way to feed them. Not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, need as being lords, no, not being as lords over God's heritage, but being example to the flock. Example. See? Authority in the Bible is king authority, especially in the church, and I see in the same chapter of 1 Peter 5, likewise, younger, 
Submit yourselves to the elder. Ye all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisted the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time. So humility, especially in church, feeding the flock, having oversight of them. Let me show that from the Bible, that pastors and elders and deacons have received authority to care. Hebrews 13, obey them. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. That's the Bible. I would not dare to say that. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account, not to you, but to the Lord, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. It's unprofitable for you to not submit and to make it hard for the church and the authorities. Or think of Acts 16. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. So it was normal to have authorities in the church to have decrees, to keep them, and to ordain also apostles and elders. Now in the church, authority should be men, not ladies. I know John MacArthur got in trouble about that. Because he said something about Beth Moore. Beth Moore is a female, famous female minister in the States. And John MacArthur said, that's absolutely wrong. Go home. And there was an uproar in North America some years ago. But is that not what the Bible says? Right now in the... In the in Holland, in the sister congregations of the, of the Free From Churches in Holland, it's a big uproar. They, they, they almost voted in favor of having ladies on the pulpit. There's just a couple votes difference, difference. And people just are so hard on that synod. They see all those 55 plus men in black suits, they decide that those ladies cannot preach. I'm happy that they still put their foot on. What does the Bible say? Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. That's the Bible. So we don't have to talk long about that. But they have been twisting the Bible that's unreal. Preparing this sermon, I also thought of my dear late father. Very kind man. We as children, we're not allowed to ever openly criticize elders, pastors, deacons in the house. For always was rising, stopped us right away. He did not tolerate that. He said that if you disagree on things, you need to talk the, take the proper route. Don't talk those people down. Don't gossip on their backs. And I think he was right. Let's keep it in mind that as consistory, we are not perfect. As pastor, I'm not. Also, in the last couple of years, we had tense situations and difficult decisions to be made, and we have not been perfect, me neither. In the way we have 
convey things and the way we have decided and changed minds and there's confusion. I speak for myself. I don't speak for the consistency. I did not discuss that with them. So that makes it difficult. And yet, I also appreciate that many, although they did not agree, and although they had different opinions, still were loyal and still were respectful. I really appreciate that. This is the way it should be. So I'd like to thank the congregation for that, for that respect, for that love, for that submission. And in the future, if, if, things, happen like, if things happen again like this, May the Lord unite us and give us light on how to proceed in those things. But we need to hold on to each other. Brings me to the last thought. In society, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That's in 1 Peter 2. You know the example of some people making life difficult for the Lord Jesus and asking him if they, if they should pay tribute to Caesar, to the Roman Caesar, the Roman emperor. And the Lord Jesus asked for a coin. And he asked about images on the coin. And they said, Caesar's. Then the Lord Jesus answered, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. See? So the Bible says that we need to respect even authorities like the Roman government those days. And they were not perfect at all. They were ungodly and idolatrous. And yet, we read in the Bible that we need to also respect them because it pleases God to govern us by their hand. It's also, also remarkable in, the, in this regard that in Romans 13, the famous chapter about authority, Romans 13, the word diakonos is used. A deacon is a diakonos, and that means servant, right? To deacon, to servant, to serve. Romans 13 speaks about the government as for he is the minister, the servant, the diakonos of God to thee for good. The Lord has given us authorities for the reason. To thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he bears not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, the revenger, the execute wrath upon them that doeth evil. So the government may do justice, they may revenge. That's a special type of authority only reserved for them. Parents, teachers, elders, pastors may never retaliate. May never get even. That's not the purpose. Church discipline is also medication and healing and not getting even. But the authorities, the, 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 the state has the, the responsibility to also do justice. We need to pray for kings, for all that are in authority that may lead in a quiet and peaceful life in our godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. So we need to obey the government. But what if they say things and ask people things that are absurd? They're just completely of the wall. For example, if they ask people to wear a mask in church, 
what are the criteria? How do you decide if you have to obey them or not? I don't have the last word on that. I want you to think about a few, a few things. Do children need to obey their parents if they disagree? Do they think it's absurd? Do they think it's dumb? Do they think it's absolutely strange? They do, right? How is that with the government? When they're asking to wear masks. If you feel in your heart that wearing a mask in church is an offense to the Almighty One, if you feel really bad about it, you just can't do that. You can't have a mask on your face in church when you pray, when you listen to the sermon. If you can't do that, that's, 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 very, that's a very sensitive point. That's one way of looking at that. But compare that to someone who says, I have no problem with it, it's just annoying. It's annoying to wear the mask. What is the better reason to say, I am yet going to wear or not, 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 not going to wear the mask? What's, what's the better reason to not do it? If it's only, I'm annoyed. Is that enough of a reason to say, no, I don't do it? Or does it need to be a very personal thing that your conscience, your conscience says, I can't do that? Think, think about the difference. And that's also true for other things, of course. Personal preferences are insufficient grounds for complying with certain measures. Again, personal preferences are insufficient grounds. It's not about what you like. It is about what is the right thing to do in those circumstances. You are in favor of free freedom in religion and freedom to go to church and freedom to teach biblical, biblical family life and freedom to oppose infanticide. You also have to understand this. Our government is in favor of abortion. Our government is in favor of euthanasia. Our government is in favor of messing family life up. And more things we have absolutely disagree on. So that makes it also difficult, right? And yet, well, we don't trust them. We don't trust them often because of all those things. Yet we have to find our way, the biblical way, in yet maneuvering between being rebellious and too lenient. We need to pray about those things. And say, Lord, give us light in those things. What's the best thing to do? But yes, we have to obey the Lord. We have to obey the government as well. When we can, when we, when we can. For example, when there are traffic laws, and you say, why, why can't I speed that, that, that stretch of highway? No, but but, but you, you can't reason yourself out of that. If it is not against the word of God, not against the law, if it's not, not against the conscience, if it's not against the conscience, it may be better not to obey them. We preach the commandments for four reasons, right? We start with that. May not also give us to realize ourselves that we are also deep in our hearts, boasters and aggressive and fierce, and that we need to be subdued by the Lord and surrender. And I think if the Lord surrenders us, He makes us humble. And that's especially a virtue we need today. Humility in church, family life, in marriage, in school, in our care home, everywhere. Humility. And if we humble ourselves before the high majesty of God, he will exalt us. Like the Lord Jesus, right? 
that Jesus see why he humbled himself into the cross. He was exalted in his resurrection. And is now at the right hand of God the Father. And he reigns. He is the authority. And we are most concerned about pleasing him. Amen.